Okay. Oh, right. We still have one more. Sorry. We have listen. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get listen done <laughs> and then let's listen to okay. listen. And then um and then we'll look at adapting. <laughs> <laughs> Which as you just witnessed was actually kind of hard for me to do on the fly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this was all a test. I'm oh, gosh. Your sounds good. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Wow. Did I pass? What leadership style am I? What's my score? Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 108. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about sphere of influence. We're often encouraged in today's society to become leaders and to communicate well, but often that's where this council ends. To be sure, knowing how to effectively lead and speak to others are valuable traits to have. And if you can combine intelligence and nuance to the equation, you're well on your way to cultivating a positive influence on those in your world and beyond. But first, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. How about you? Do you want more from The Modern Lady? Become a Patreon supporter and for just $5 a month, you will have access to extra content. Find us by going to patreon.com forward slash The Modern Lady Podcast. You can also support the show by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to iTunes listener NRMDBXBSL, who left us a five-star rating this summer and said, quote, these ladies are like the two best friends you wish you had. They discuss all of the relevant issues pertaining to women now, while also interweaving history and other interesting topics. Can't wait for them to put out more podcasts, end quote. Thank you so much, dear listener, for your wonderful comment. We're so glad the wait is over and that we are back to chatting with you about all the things in these new episodes. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Last week, we learned all about how to serve soup, but this week, it's all about eating soup. If you'll recall from last week's tip, we learned about the two different kinds of soup spoons, the Western spoon and the Chinese soup spoon. Let's assume we are using the more common Western soup spoon here. I return now to the website etiquettescholar.com for our information today. First of all, you must hold your spoon by resting the end on the end of your middle finger and place your thumb on top. Now, if you're like me, you're actually looking at your fingers right now and trying to figure out if that's actually how you normally hold a spoon. (laughs) The spoon is then dipped sideways into the bowl and you skim it across the soup from the front of the bowl towards the back. You then sip from the side of the spoon versus putting the entire spoon into your mouth. Now, the site reminds its readers not to slurp But journey with me, if you will, to Japan, where not only is it okay to slurp your noodles and soup, it's actually a great compliment to the chef or person who made it. 
So slurp on if you're in Japan, but alas, I'm in Ontario. So back to the vestiges of a Victorian etiquette that we are still hanging on to here. You might want a bite of bread whilst eating your soup. And I think you should know that you are not supposed to hold your bread in one hand and your soup spoon in the other. You are to place the spoon on the underplate and use that hand to lift the bread to your mouth. We turn now to Emily Post in order to find out exactly how we should cool down our hot soup. Do we gently stir the soup in the bowl to cool it down or do we gently blow on it on our spoon? And the proper answer is neither. Etiquette asks that you hold your filled spoon lowly over the bowl for about 30 seconds and let nature cool it down before sipping from the side of your spoon. Now you've finished your soup and you're wondering what to do with your spoon. First of all, the resting position is in the bowl, but if you really are done, the spoon goes onto the table on the right side of the underplate. What's that you say? Not on the underplate? That's correct. There's a greater chance of the spoon falling off when the dishes are being picked up if it's laying on the underplate. If you are informally dining and there isn't an underplate, you may leave the spoon in the bowl. And that's it. I hope you have no anxiety about eating a bowl of soup now, Michelle. <laughs> well, first of all, I was laughing so hard when you definitely called me out for holding my fingers up in the air <laughs> as you were talking, trying mm -hmm. to imagine how I'm holding spoons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was totally doing that as you were talking. But I think at the end of it all, I realized it, this could all be condensed into a fact of eat soup as if you are in Downton Abbey. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like even to the point of dragging the soup from the front of the bowl to the back, like to mm -hmm. scoop it up, that to to me anyways would seem like such an acting, like an act because it's mm -hmm. so not in our normal way of eating soup, but yes. I've seen it so many times on TV in period pieces. So, I can get over my anxiety eating soup if I just pretend like I'm Lady Mary Crawley anytime anyone sets a, a dish in front of me then. <laughs> Author and speaker Simon Sinek once said, quote, leadership is a process and it requires commitment, end quote. Now, one such commitment could be to learn how to be a good leader. In a world that often seems directionless and vague, striving to understand leadership styles and effective communication could be seen as a pretty big boon for families and society, couldn't it, Lindsay? Yes, yes, it could. I'm not trying to be dramatic here when I say that it feels like the world is on fire and I'm standing here with a garden hose <laughs> wondering <laughs> what I can do to help. Are you are you feeling that way, Michelle? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've often thought of myself as that dog in the meme mm -hmm. uh, of, where he's sitting in the middle of a burning room and he just says, this is fine. Yep. <laughs> right. I will say I looked yep. into making that into my Halloween costume this year. <laughs> With um, the flames around. That's perfect. Yep. Please yep. do that. Yes. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, so one of the messages that you and I have said over and over again on this podcast from the very beginning is that it starts at home. And mm -hmm. I guess I can admit that for the first two seasons, I think I said that in a really cutesy way, like it should be embroidered on a pillow or something <laughs> or hanging on a wall with your live, love, laugh. Um, but now the it starts at home message, mm. it sounds like a battle cry, right? Now it's serious. Yeah. So I think that today we're going to narrow that down even further. What happens in your home really does start with you. And mm -hmm. it is that simple 
And it is that true that you wield that much power and that much influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you were saying, it's so much weightier now mm-hmm. um, because I think we're realizing that there are so many things to be concerned about and worried mm-hmm. about that, it, you know, we really are going to have to start becoming pretty specific in what we sift through. What are the things uh, within our circle of control and which are the things that are actually in our circle of influence, things that we can control. And there is actually a diagram. I'm I'm alluding to this diagram of two concentric circles, like one within the other, right? And mm-hmm. the larger one is the circle of control. And that's everything that you could be worried about or is of concern. Worldly issues, finances, um, your schedule, All those things are in your circle of control. And within that circle is a smaller one that is the circle of influence. And those are the things you can start putting in that say, well, I can change this. I can control this aspect. And the goal is to try to get that circle of influence to grow bigger and to make the circle of control then be a smaller border around. And I thought that that was a really helpful analogy to to think about what we're trying to say here is that our circle of influence at home can kind of get small in the sense that we forget how influential it is, what Mm -hmm. we do in our four walls, but really it it should expand to become a major uh, concentration for us uh, just as we go through our day. Absolutely. So I love power. Uh, You know that. (laughs) And if our (laughs) listeners have been listening over the years, um, I think it's pretty clear that I do define myself very naturally as a leader. Um, And I think that when I say that, it's a very polished way of me calling myself bossy. Um, I love having control over every situation. But hopefully also our listeners have heard over the years how I'm trying to you know, like overcome this and properly order it in my life. And I'm trying to use those skills and that natural leadership for good now, not for evil. I'm joking. That's a little extra dramatic. <laughs> part of this journey for me has been learning about the difference between control versus influence, like what you mm-hmm. were saying as well. And I also have had to learn that following isn't always weakness and learning that those who follow aren't weak. Because the truth is, I really always thought of followers as weak. And you and I have talked many times about how I've been learning the difference between what meekness is and weakness. And I think we could do a whole episode on meekness. Um, But I've had many Mm. eye-opening lessons over the last couple of years, um, you know, in lessons in humility of how God's tried to open my eyes to that. So yeah, this idea that like, so I'm somebody who naturally sees a a sphere of influence and control around me, and I love it. I thrive in it. It it comes very naturally naturally to me. But in doing the research for this episode, I learned that I haven't been doing it very properly and, um, you know, stepping over some people as I exert that (laughs) power to grow the circle. Yeah, I like that, that it's a really important distinction to make um, between influence and control, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I personally have seen that more that aspect of control as a little bit intimidating. It and when I've tried to exert leadership in that style, it feels very aggressive mm. sometimes, <laughs> right? like yeah. overly so. But if you're going to distinguish it between influence, then there was an interesting article called Influence Versus Control on psychologytoday.com, which is mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I think it's our favorite source of <laughs> psychological information. Yeah, um, It has great stuff. But in any case, this article says, and I'm just going to read this quote because I think it really puts 
this into a good perspective. It says, quote, in our search to gain more control over ourselves and our lives, we frequently and foolishly seek to control other people. Mm -hmm. But to attempt to control others while perhaps making life more convenient is also to attempt to curtail their autonomy. And what genuine pleasure could we take from our interactions with others who live as nothing more than our pawns? Mm. The price of having satisfying relationships then lies in the fact that others will often not do as we want, frustrating us, yes, but also challenging us to become our better selves. And if we succeed in becoming those, we may, through the power of influence, help them to become theirs. End quote. And I feel like the end. <laughs> that summed <laughs> it up so well. I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there is a distinction. And um, as we're going to talk about today, we can kind of narrow it down in order to be smart about leadership styles because leadership is good and it's needed in the world. But there is um, an art, if you will, to doing it well. Okay, so you, yes, you, you have a sphere of influence around you, whether you like it or not. And right now, it seems like so much is out of our control because it is out of our control. I came across this quote by someone named Todd Stalker, and he said, control what you can, influence what you should, forget the rest. I feel like forget the rest can be a whole episode on its own, but for mm. now, we will look at the our power of influence and how we can use that power more effectively and how we can use it for good. Okay, so Michelle, you sent me a great video that is very short. It was only six and a half minutes, but it's jam-packed with information about 12 relationship styles within the sphere of influence. And at first, we only had this short video and no original source to credit, but then, Michelle, you did some digging, and you found the mm -hmm. website sphereofinfluence360.com that has the entire report, which provides in detail the history and explanation of this sphere of influence model of leadership. So in this video and on the website, there is a circle diagram and it's presented and broken down into four quadrants, which are bisected by four axes. And the top of the vertical axis is labeled as lead and its opposite style located at the very bottom of the circle is follow. The horizontal axis is labeled on the right side with relationship and its opposite on the left side with content. Okay, I, I feel like I'm just going to pop in here for a quick second. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Think of me as the little paperclip on the bottom of the Microsoft <laughs> Word document. Yes. <laughs> uh, we are going to try to include the image of what we're talking about in as many places as we possibly can. So um, yes. this will be the image that we've used for the post on Instagram when we launched today's episode. Um, we're going to include a Facebook post with this image as well. And um, I'll see about including it as well in the email in, if you are subscribed to our website. So if you can't find it in any of those sources, you can Google Sphere of Influence 360. And in the images, Google Images section, it should also pop up. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So X okay. the clip. Go on. Yep, for sure. For <laughs> sure. So if you guys for now, though, can try to again, imagine this circle in your head. So then the top of it says lead, the bottom says follow the right size side says relationship and the left side says content. Okay. And then in each quadrant, um, it's broken down into three further sections and they span then between lead and relationship, relationship and follow, follow and content, and then finally content and lead. So we promise it'll be a little 
easier to understand as we work through it. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's just briefly define lead, which is at the top of the circle. In this extreme of the style, the leader simply creates a one-sided relationship that is basically, it demands followers. And now on the bottom, follow in its most extreme form can lead to docility. When we look at the horizontal axis, we see relationship versus content. Relationship here fosters a shared interest. It is atmosphere versus tasks, and it ultimately, uh, it results in knowledge and understanding of the task at hand. It does, as its name suggests, it's relationship building. Now, content on the opposite side is, as it sounds, more content focused, meaning tasks, to-do lists, and focusing on everything that needs fixing. This in its extreme form, when it's not rooted in relationship, can force people into defensive mode. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're going to get really into what happens in between uh, and all these quadrants, right? But the one thing I'd like to note before we really start getting into this is that I approached this uh, diagram at first kind of like a personality test Mm -hmm. without thinking about it, right? I started naturally trying to find myself on the spectrum. And while I do think that there are certainly ones that I can recognize I naturally tend towards, I think that the goal of this whole diagram is to get an understanding of all the different kinds of communication and leadership that are available to all of us, Mm -hmm. just depending on the certain situation and the people that we're talking to. So as we go through these, I'd like to challenge um, you and I and everyone everyone listening to try to see um, all of these things not as exclusive if they don't naturally speak to your tendencies in the moment. Yes, yes. And I learned this early on when I was in a manager at Pier 1 that I couldn't talk to everybody in the same way. I had to learn that mm-hmm. the hard way, actually, because, you know, when you work in retail, I had people who were 15 right up to people who were 55. And I was just this 23-year-old manager <laughs> telling mm-hmm. them what to do. And I and I learned very early on that you have to change your approach to everybody. Um, and I took that actually into raising my kids, too. I learned very mm-hmm. early on with my children that it's mm-hmm. a different approach with each child. But like you, I looked at this, too, and I'm like, did I pass? I'm like, yes. <laughs> am I a good leader <laughs> if I work my way around? <laughs> <laughs> I must have passed. <laughs> and then it's like, That's right. and then of course it inevitably had the opposite effect where I'm like, wow, I have so much to work on. But mm-hmm. I love what you said about how we can look at all of this as an opportunity, right? To grow better in all of these things, to utilize these in the right way. So these 12 leadership styles, and we're going to go through each one with you guys right now. Yeah. It's something that you can look at and say, I'm, I'm already pretty good at that. Or wow, that's something I can work on, but they all have benefits and they, you know, they can all just really have a huge impact on the people closest to us and then our larger sphere of influence. The first group is in the upper right quadrant of the diagram, which puts it in between lead and relationship. It is broken down into three segments, with the first being inspire, the second is coach, and the third is connect. We'll start with inspire. So this style is at the top of the circle and closest to the lead axis. Here you generate support by sharing your clear vision. You reach people on an emotional level versus a rational level. And the message here is why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In reading a little bit of the description of these people who use Inspire to lead and to communicate, they're often independent and confident and captivating. So I I feel like we can all picture someone in our minds who we would call inspiring, both personally and in society, like history, we can look to those personalities. Um, And it actually reminds me of this 
book called Start With Why, which we just <laughs> talked about <laughs> before recording. <laughs> Not realizing and, that both of our husbands have this book for yeah. work. We didn't know that until five That's minutes right. ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be pretty popular in the corporate world. Mm. This is the sense I'm starting to get. Yes. <laughs> but it is written by Simon Sinek, who I also quoted in the introduction. So I suppose he's the unofficial sponsor of this episode. Um <laughs> The book talks about the importance of explaining the why behind your idea or movement or product, what have you. And it is probably more of a corporate slant to the book. But this is the message that the Sphere of Influence 360 report attaches to inspire is this word why. And it's really helping me envision what it's like. You're trying to rally other people. You're trying to encourage them to do something. And anecdotally, I'm thinking about the nightly tidy up at my house, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. You can present facts and data of why a clean house is a good thing to your family. But ultimately, it's an exercise in convincing other people, why they should be listening to you, why your idea is the solution to their problem. And that is more of an emotional response sometimes than it is a rational one. Yes. And I was reflecting on my homemaking and how I can inspire my family. And I think that the key for inspiration in my role as a homemaker is using beauty. Um, I still find beauty to be a foundational key to living a good life. And beauty Mm. doesn't always involve money or material goods, but rather it's based on intention. A clean and well-ordered home, a mom slash wife who doesn't look like she just crawled out of a dumpster, which is often my one look aside from like, it's like church or dumpster. Um, These things take a little time and effort, but they can elevate the ordinary. So yeah, we're going to, as we work through these, we want to try as best we can to apply what would be used in a workplace for in our home. So how we can use these leadership styles. So yeah, I inspire, you inspire and rally your family with the nightly cleanup. And I, I use beauty as little ways to inspire my family in our home. That's awesome. The next one is coach. Now this style is right in the middle of lead and relationship. It is a helping role. You help find solutions in order to move people forward. And this message here is let me help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find this an interesting follow-up to inspire because that first section suggests that it's your idea, right? Mm-hmm. That you're trying to communicate or convey. And then here, like immediately afterwards is a style that assumes that it's now someone else's idea that you're coming alongside to support them in. And that also is a form of leadership too. Like leadership doesn't mean that you're the one directing all the time. Now we would obviously see this style in professions like teaching or literally coaching, (laughs) but (laughs) even for us who maybe don't find ourselves in those kinds of positions naturally, this would be such a benefit for strengthening relationships because it also ties in like an empathy factor. And I think it also requires humility to be Mm -hmm. able to coach someone, just this acknowledgement that there might be another factor or person or idea at play here, and it may not be mine. But that's okay. How are we going to support this? How are we going to move forward? Okay, so how can we apply that in our household? Well, this is where, as moms, we coach our children in learning life skills. And so this is like cooking beside mom. This is helping them make their beds. 
it's task oriented, but it's still fun. That's the relationship aspect mm -hmm. of coaching, right? A good mm -hmm. coach really leads his team effectively or her team. Um, and so they clearly outline so many of the other things that we'll talk about, like goals and, and direction. But the, it, the relationship is a critical part of that. And so this is definitely something, this kind of coaching ability is a really important part of our life in raising children. Yeah. And it's that uh, rapport with one another, right? Mm -hmm. That really flows well then into the third and final section of this quadrant, which is to connect. Yeah, that's right. So this style of influence is closest to the relationship axis of the circle chart. <laughs> this style of leader identifies the wishes and needs of others and looks for win-win situations and strives to make sure that everyone is on the same page. The message here is you and me. Mm hmm. I think this is such a relevant style for today. Um, I was reading an article from thecoachingroom.com and the article is called Using Debate to Find Common Ground in Our Disagreements. Mm. And it notes that often it feels like public discourse is simply broken, <laughs> that we find it really hard to agree on anything at all, and that contempt has replaced conversation. And I found that last part an especially striking thought. So, you know, in regards to this connect aspect, the article goes on to talk about how finding common ground can help because it separates ideas from identity and it helps us to be genuinely open to the other person. And so, yeah, this whole concept of separating ideas from identity is, I think, really critical right now in our society if we want to connect. And even within our families, I think there's a lot of times that um, our ideas or our opinions have become our identity and it has been really hard to connect with other people. And so, yeah, just this importance of finding common ground, connecting with other people, um, it's something that you that we almost have to intentionally do on purpose now. Okay, so again, you run a household, you want to connect with the family. So what does that look like in a practical way? Well, that is getting the house clean all together so that we can enjoy Sunday rest, right? That's all working together as a team or a movie night. We are all in this together. That message um, it can, it can be in a global sense, can be in a very real sense in, in this time of unease and uncertainty right now. But it can also simply be as a family, you know, the Murrays are going to clean together today on Saturday so that mom can enjoy her Sunday rest um, mm. uh, as, as a family. So we can all then exper experience the pleasure of a job well done. You know what? I love what you said there about like, even within your family, it's like, well, the Murrays, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And that really ties into the identity thing again, right? Mm -hmm. I think people connect when we find that common ground and in your family, it's your family culture. Yeah. So when you said that, it reminded me of Kendra Tierney's post on family culture. I read it years ago, but that's the first time I really heard of applying that uh, connection and that identity in your family even um, to be rooted in what your values are uh, within yourselves. And then that is what connects you. That's your common ground. And that becomes really your home base. And as the mothers, as parents, that becomes the start of our center of influence. Because ultimately that connection will exactly, you'll have that desire for the win-win situation, right? When you are truly mm. connected with people and when there is that relationship, and again, this is the one closest to relationship, of course you want the other person to win, 
right? This is mm-hmm. no longer a competition between the two of you. When you are really united with somebody, whether it's your family, your extended family, and it should be our communities, you should always want it to be a win-win situation. And the way that we do that is through this type of connection, whether it is through something as simple as cleaning your house together or some of the bigger things like what you're talking about, about just, you know, seeing the other person's point of view or something. But yeah, then ultimately we do end up wanting both people to win. Mm-hmm. And so that concludes the first quadrant, moving right along here <laughs> into the into the second bottom right-hand half, right, Lindsay? Yes, yes. So it is the second quadrant stretches between relationship at the middle right and to, all the way down to follow at the bottom. And it includes empathize, adapt, and listen. Empathize is closest to relationship. And in this style, you take into account the feelings of others and demonstrate interest and appreciation of what others are saying. The message here is, I understand. Yeah, here's that empathy thing again, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, If, you know, to communicate and to lead, we have to appeal to, uh, you know, not just facts and reason, but also to the emotional, like we were saying before, then we really should practice being keen observers about how other people are reacting and how they're feeling. And that's simply, I mean, in its most simplistic way, so that we can adjust our responses accordingly. (laughs) And, you know, I think this is really important because when we empathize, people feel heard and seen. And that's such a basic human need that we have. And it's a gift that we can give to people. Now, I did see something from the Making Caring Common Project at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, where they talk about how empathy is a foundation for acting ethically, for good relationships of many kinds, for loving well, and for professional success. So yeah, I just think this sincere connection puts us on that common ground with one another. It probably makes it easier to move forward and to inspire another person because now you feel like you're acting as a team. You're in fellowship and it's often so much easier to do life with other people rather than alone. And I feel like this is one of the core virtues or values that we can start immediately with our babies and through toddlerhood. Mm. It's truly Mm -hmm. something that does have to be taught observed, learned, and practiced. Um, there are people who are naturally empathetic for sure. Uh, and that's wonderful. Wonderful. I'm not na- naturally like that. And so it's something that really, I have to watch how other people use that language of, mm. I understand. I like to say, or I have a tendency to say, I understand, but Or I understand, yeah, but listen to what happened to me. And so I really feel like the best place that I've had the chance to practice that is with my children and then watching how they do that with each other. This is truly something that starts at home and that has to be modeled over and over and over again so that that becomes our instinctual responses. I understand before you say anything else. Mm -hmm. That's actually a really good point because I would have a tendency to use things as a connecting moment or like a lesson moment. It's like, I understand. And you know right. what else? Right? Right. <laughs> so like the, the follow up, but I see what you're saying. The, the point you're trying to make is that I understand is yep. its own complete sentence when yes. it comes to empathy, right? <laughs> if you're yep. going to actually practice empathy, it's <laughs> I understand, period. Yes. Okay, yep. so yep. I'll work on that. <laughs> The next one is adapt. Now, adapt is in the middle of follow and relationship. 
It is more active than just listening. You endeavor to meet halfway. You agree to what's been suggested, but you can adapt it to meet your own goals in order to work towards what is being suggested. The message here is, sounds good. Mm-hmm. I think if I were any one of these sections on the chart, mm-hmm. I would be this one. Yes. I think yes. I say sounds good a million <laughs> times a day <laughs> in texts, in text messages, in emails, in person. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I do think, yeah, a key point in this style that I'd like to improve on then is the forward motion after adapting. Because Sometimes I think I'd have to make the distinction then hearing the description of adapt in this context. I will adapt because I'd like everyone to be happy. But this Mm -hmm. section indicates that the reason, yeah, the reason for adapting is more to keep the task or the goal moving forward and not getting stuck in details. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the Navy SEALs comes back (laughs) to mind, right? Adapt and overcome. Like, Don't just adapt and it's good. So adapting is really good. It helps account for everyone's unique perspectives and ideas and circumstances. But by keeping the focus on the why, um, it, it can help you adapt in order to keep pushing forwards towards a specific goal that can help you avoid just uh, adapting and then staying stuck in trying to uh, adapt to so many small, fine details that ultimately are going to hold you back from moving forward. Yeah. Now, this is actually one of the hardest ones for me, because when I think of adapt, I think of everyone else having to adapt to my goals. I forget (laughs) that I should also adapt. Um, So I, I honestly feel like, and I can't be alone in this, I honestly feel like I have done all of the physical and mental work before we have something going on, like a family trip or excursion or something. And Mm -hmm. even if I have thought it all, and I mean all through, um, and even if I feel like I have the most efficient plan, and I'm saying these because I do feel like I always think it all through and I have the most efficient plan, (laughs) um, my relationship with those around me is more important than either of those two things. So I have Mm -hmm. here, when it comes to adapting for me, I have to wonder how I can serve the greater good here with a loving heart and adapt to what somebody else is suggesting. So I often will text sounds good as well, but it's always, um, there's always uh, ties attached to it in my head. It's like, sounds good, but I'm already reworking plans about how I can Mm. best line up with what I need control over. So I, again, like the, I understand, I need to just say sounds good and I actually believe that sounds good. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's probably, um, a unique struggle in a more unique sense, I mean, to mothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because there are so many moving parts all mm-hmm. the time. And sometimes you really just want things to go to your plan. Yes. <laughs> like your plan really was a good one. <laughs> right? yes. um, so yeah, just, I, I guess that there's no real uh, call to action on that point. Maybe just a an empathetic, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so the last one we're going to look at today is listen. And this falls in the last section um, before we hit the bottom of this diagram. Right, Lindsay? (laughs) Yes. yes. So listen is closest to follow at the bottom. Now, listening is pretty clear. You use few words, you nod your head and you keep to the background. The message here is tell me. 
Okay, I know that given its position on the diagram and everything, it seems like it's really unimportant and undesirable when it comes to leadership, right? Mm. But I think listening is so important. <laughs> and it reminds me again that this whole diagram isn't a grading of which style yes. is the best and yes. <laughs> which styles are lacking, but an overview of all kinds of leadership that we need to be smart about implementing depending on our situations. So yeah, I think to be a good communicator, you have to be a good listener first. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, we see the fruits of a lack of listening um, in regards to our social climate. Like there is very oh, little listening in order to try to understand, but a whole lot of communicating going on, yes. looking at you, Twitter. Yeah. Um, and if you're trying to lead, you know, whether it is corporate or in our context in the home, or on a committee, you know, you're not, if you're not a good listener, I feel like your influence will be pretty weak, actually. I just realized when you just said the Twitter thing that Twitter mm. and even Instagram with the words influencer uh, is, they're both really set up to just say your piece and sure people can respond mm. or comment, but both um, forms of social media, Facebook a little bit too, but definitely Twitter feel like it closes down the listening aspect. You literally shout out your short tweet right out into mm. the void and you've said your piece. It just does definitely doesn't seem like it's even organized um, to foster listening at all. Just a bunch of voices mm -hmm. yelling out into the void at once, which is exactly what it feels like when you log on to Twitter. Right. That's a really good point. Like the platform itself it mm -hmm. is just simply not designed that way. Probably not maliciously. That's just yeah. not what it was ever created to do was to have yeah. conversations, right? That's right. And do you know what I find really interesting is, I don't know if this is a general uptick of popularity or if it's just me, um, but I've been noticing a lot more public debates on platforms like YouTube or even in podcast form. I've been listening to a few episodes of... I guess it's a show I'm going to call it called <laughs> the monk debates. That's oh yes. M from the monk center. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. M U N K. Yes. Um, and I actually really love listening <laughs> to debates and yes, for the points, but also to kind of study in a way how dialogue happens. And there is usually an equal amount of listening versus talking when it's a really good debate. And yes. a good debater often um, relays back to their opponent what <gasps> no. they... Yeah, yeah. I've been noticing that in strong debaters, they will acknowledge the other person's perspective, which seems to indicate that they were, in fact, listening to their opponent. And I, I think that it's just fascinating on a sociological level, even, to study conversation. So... This is something else I've been working on. <laughs> and I do want to acknowledge that some of the things that have been going on in our world in the last two, three years um, has really had an impact on me. And what I'm talking about is the, the changing in direction and really 
pushing ourselves to hear the marginalized groups of people who have been speaking up more and more and are demanding to be heard, right? Asking to be heard mm. from those of us who have traditionally been able to voice our thoughts and concerns with ease. Um, and that some of us have been asked, you know, to consider just taking a little step back. And it's not about silencing us, but just about really hearing the people whose voices we might not have heard before. I think this is a great thing and have been learning, again, just to listen to people people's experiences without forming my own thoughts, A, while they're still speaking, because that's mm. how I've been taught to debate is that you're already formulating your thought back while someone else is speaking. So silencing that part of my brain and really hearing them. Um, that is one of the big things, but yeah. And also trying to not say any of the, yeah, but yeah, but just hearing people, just listening. And I think that there are many people like me who it's really hard to do that. And then, yeah, like if we go back to Twitter and we think we're being, um, we're kind of building a habit of just speaking without listening, that's being reinforced in our social media interactions. It, we're really losing that skill, that skill of proper debate, like what you're talking about. Like you, I love the monk debates and the monk sessions and listening mm -hmm. to those people speak. And my favorite thing, my I think the thing I find most compelling in great orators is when they're asked a question or they're hearing somebody else's side, they are silent. Like it's sometimes mm -hmm. for like an awkward period. Like we're so used to having an immediate response, which is something I do, but they are silent for even 10 seconds as they're really thinking about what they heard and what they want to say back. And I think we need to grow again, comfortable in that silence as we really take in what the other person is saying, silence within our own heads and, and silence, you know, physically and not saying something back immediately. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we might feel a little bit threatened by mm -hmm. listening. Mm -hmm. um, and perhaps that's because somehow we equate listening with acquiescence. Right, like, right. With agreement uh, or like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so we feel kind of nervous about staying silent, especially if someone is saying something that we disagree with. We need for them to know immediately that we're already not agreeing with them. And then they can continue if they'd like. But yeah, and I think that the culture and the habit, like what you were saying, of conditioning ourselves never to pause and listening is actually fostering that insecurity. We're not sure if we're going to get a chance to offer our rebuttal or our response. And so we feel like we need to cut in and just do it before the other person gets away from us and our point. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so these were the first six of styles of leadership that we're going to take a look at out of the 12 that make up this whole circle. And I kind of like that we kind of kept all of the ones on the relationship side of the mm -hmm. hemisphere together. And then next week, we'll look at more content styles of leadership on the other half. But for now, we're going to leave it here. This was part one. And then next week, we'll pick right back up again for part two. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? I feel like I'm late to the party on this one, but a few months ago I watched Cranford on BritBox and I really enjoyed yes. it. Have you seen Cranford? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Love it. I'll let <laughs> yeah. you go on. <laughs> okay. 
So I did find that the first season was sweet and it was predictable. It was an easy watch. I, I felt like it wasn't incre- incredibly bingeable. Like I wasn't like, what's going on in the town of Cranford? Um, but I felt like it was cozy and it was like this really great little escape. Um, I kept forgetting that I had put Return to Cranford, I guess like season two in my watch list. So I started it this past week and I'm really liking it again. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you who haven't watched it yet, um, it it's like the perfect little escape into this mid 19th century town of Cranford, England. And the show is star studded. You and I joke all the time mm-hmm. about like the same 50 actors that they have in everything in England. And they're all <laughs> in, in England. This yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all there. Well, you'll yes. see them all. Um, and it's based around a serialized novel by Elizabeth Gaskell. And it was printed between the novel of Cranford and the series between 1850 and 1853. And it was printed in the magazine that Charles Dickens uh, edited, and it was called Household Words. And first of all, I just want to say as an aside, yeah, Yeah. I need that magazine. Like, I Uh really would love, I feel like it's time for (laughs) us to bring back this magazine. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so... It takes place in the fictional town of Cranford, which is based on Gaskell's childhood home of Nutsford. <laughs> and the main characters are a group of elderly, unmarried, or widowed women who live in genteel poverty, but they hide their financial situations by calling it elegant economy, which I read on Wikipedia, <laughs> and I just love. I think that's oh, my that's style, cool. right? <laughs> elegant economy. <laughs> And their lives are interwoven with other residents in Cranford from all different social standings and backgrounds. And it happens to be a great period of change in England at that time, too. So anyways, it is like the perfect Huga, I think, show going into the fall. Just really something beautiful to escape into. And I need to read the books now. Michelle, have you read Mm -hmm. Cranford? Um, No, I haven't read actually any of Elizabeth Gaskell's books, but I've seen all of her miniseries, and I love mm-hmm. them all because she also wrote North and South, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, but Cranford really is, it, it's different from like North and South. And then the other one she wrote was Wives and Daughters, I believe, oh, yes, too. Yes. Um, and, and they're all good. But Cranford, you're right. It is so huga. It is <laughs> really cozy watching for sure. And you can't go wrong, like you said, with the star-studded cast, but <sighs> in particular, Judy Dench, uh-huh. Imelda Staunton, those uh-huh. two. Oh my gosh. Every time they get it. Every time. Nail it. Absolutely. So what have you been loving this week? So this week, I'm going to recommend a book called Dragon Hoops by Jean Lewin Yang. And this is an interesting what I'm loving recommendation for a couple of reasons. The first is that this will be my first recommendation of a grown-up, I put that in air quotes, graphic (laughs) novel. (laughs) But this was recommended by Jansen of the blog Everyday Reading. And Mm -hmm. as she is very rarely wrong when it comes to book recommendations for me, uh, this book quickly found its way to my library bag. And so secondly, it's an interesting pick because it's a book about sports. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I know. Most definitely not my usual lane. Wait, wait. graphic novel and it's about sports. Okay. You're going to have to really sell me on this, Michelle. I know. Okay. (laughs) All right. I will. Um, Basketball, no less. Oh, wow. You're talking to the girl who in the seventh grade, the basketball coach used her running up the court as a definition of gangly. So... (laughs) It's true. True story. So playing sports is not usually my territory and reading about sports is not usually something I go for. But 
This book, because it's a graphic novel, was actually really interesting. So it tells the story of the exciting and promising basketball season of the Dragons. This is the team from Bishop O'Dowd High School in California. And it tells it from the perspective of the author, Mr. Yang, who is one of the school's math teachers. So the description for the book says that, you know, Yang isn't particularly interested in sports himself, but he is interested in stories. And he finds that this team and their journey towards the state title is a fantastic one. So the chapters are a mix of game highlights and recaps throughout the season with little snippets of the history of basketball and backstories of some of the team members and the coaches. And so I just found it to be a really interesting read. And like I said, I think the fact that it was written as a graphic novel made it that much more accessible and easy to get into. So if you're looking for something a little bit different in your reading life lately, then I would suggest checking out Dragon Hoops and the author is Jean Lewin Yang. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you.